This morning we are presented with three pretty different readings and I hope that as we kind of look through them this morning we can maybe find a little common thread as we go through them. So let's begin with the Old Testament. We hear Moses talking about a new prophet that's going to be coming up. Moses knew that he wasn't going to be the prophet forever. Moses knew that there was going to have to be somebody else that's going to replace him. Now, we take that to what we see in our modern day, and we can equate that to when a rector leaves, or when an important member or a longtime member of the congregation leaves. There's lots of things that happen when we hear about a departure. Now, I just want to say right now, Richard's not going anywhere, so um, make that clear. Um, but there is first a lot of anxiety. Things are going to change. What's changing? How is it going to change? How is it going to affect me? There's also maybe some anger that's happening. Why are they leaving? What did we do? Why are they leaving us? And then finally, there has to be a period of mourning. It's a loss. When we have somebody who's been a member of a congregation for six months or 60 years, and they leave, there's that mourning and grieving that needs to happen. But what gives me solace is God provides. God's answer to Moses was pretty clear. I will raise up a prophet. I will provide for your people. What this also speaks to me, though, is that the church isn't just the prophet. The church isn't just the clergy. The church is the people. As I've been kind of reflecting back as I'm getting ready to do this ordination thing, I started thinking, and somebody asked me, Jason, who gives you the authority to be ordained? And I said, well, God. And he goes, okay, who else? I'm like, well, the bishop. And he goes, okay, who else? By this point, I was thinking I had missed something in seminary that I didn't learn yet. And he goes, what about the people? The people give you the authority to serve as an ordained clergy person. In the ordination rite, there is a point where the bishop asks the people if you consent to this. Because our authority not only just for clergy, but with each other as Christian community comes from each of us. Now, the other part of this Old Testament reading that I even get a little uncomfortable talking about is a word that many of us have some angst about. And that word is accountability. A lot of people hear accountability and think about, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? But accountability is more than that. We hear how God will hold people accountable in this lesson. But why do we get nervous about that? I think one of the main reasons why is because it not only puts the person we're talking to in a vulnerable spot, but we become vulnerable at that point as well. We are called to hold each other accountable. I've been reading all kinds of things and, and looking at articles and books and there they're pretty much the same. When we talk about being pastoral to each other, that doesn't mean that we're gonna say, oh, everything's fine, everything's great. Being pastoral also means we hold each other accountable. Before I entered the discernment process, I went to my rector and I said, Catherine, I'm gonna be a priest. And she goes, good for you. But we need to do some things first. And she's like, you need to work on this, you need to work on that, you need to work on this, and then come back and talk to me. And I left out of that office just furious. 
I was like, here I am wanting to be a priest, and she's shutting the door in my face. Now, fast forward about five, six years to where I am today, and I'm amazed by the fruit that has come out of what she told me to do. Accountability is needed. Accountability is part of our Christian life together. We live not in just, you know, there's, there's a word in this second letter where they changed the word to believers instead of brothers. The Greek was adolphos, which is brothers. Uh, to be more inclusive, they, they, they changed it to believers, which I think is a good thing, but to me it also doesn't show the level of connection we have with each other. Believers can be an acquaintance that sits next to you in the pew. But brothers and sisters shows that we are all interconnected at a much deeper level. And this community is where we can hold each other accountable. Where we're empowered to hold each other accountable. Now this idea of community takes us into the epistle. And when I first read the epistle, I was like, all right, we're talking about food. I'm excited. But... Unfortunately, it wasn't about the food. Now, the apostles and the disciples at this point were surrounded by pagan idols. Pagan worship was very rampant around there. But to them, it was irrelevant. They knew that they worshipped and had the one true God. Now, this isn't to say that they didn't exist and they weren't a part of the culture, but they just didn't have as much power. So the food that was being eaten after the sacrifice of, to the, the pagan gods and idols didn't change. It was still food. So that wasn't the big issue. What the big issue was, was the division between who knows more than the other person. The Corinthians and the Christians, the early church, they knew that this wasn't important. They knew that the food didn't change. Food was food. And it wasn't going to change. But the others didn't. It talks about weak mind is how the, the scripture says it. Now, last night, I, I'll be honest with you, I write sermons really late on a Saturday is kind of when I start <laughs> writing sermons. And I called my rector back in Minnesota and I said, I want to say this, but it doesn't sound right. And she goes, hold on. And she emailed me her sermon she's giving today. And I said, can I quote this? So, oh. <laughs> this is not me, this is the Reverend Catherine Sedwick back in Minneapolis. But she says, Paul is saying that this individ individualistic, well-reasoned argument isn't wrong. But that it seems that it set, up, set them up as separate or even elite to do so. Those who know and those who don't know. Undermining the very point of Christ's sacrificial actions on behalf of the world. In effect, possessing such knowledge that food is food and stressing their individual freedom to sort it out and decide for themselves is at best a strain on the rest of the wider church community. He goes so far as to say that this is a sin against Christ. Not the eating, but the potential misguiding and risk of strong leaders' actions misguiding the family. Individual freedoms are not wrong but they are not to be overshadowed what is best for the whole. Individual freedoms are not wrong, but they are not to overshadow what is best for the whole. We live in a world where we 
are about, we're in a, we live in an individualistic world. What do I want? What do I need? I think of the concept of I church and we church. We come into church and we say, I want to hear this hymn. I want to hear this. I want to hear that. I want to pray for this. This is what I need. This is what I want. But we look back at this is our family. When we come together to worship, to pray, to be with one another, we come together as a family. And the language switches from what do I want to what do we want. What do we need as a community of Christ? What do we need as a community of faith? What do we need to live our lives in faith and in love? Then we move on to the gospel. The Mark and gospel is my second favorite gospel of the four because it shows how Jesus came into this world to change the rules. With Jesus, there was no dark, it was covered by light. We just sang that in our, our hymn today, you know. Powers and dominions lay their glory by. Proud hearts and stubborn wills are put to flight. Jesus changed what was happening. As the man approached Jesus with the unclean spirit, did you notice how the focus of the gospel wasn't on what the person said? The man with the unclean spirit? It was about what Jesus did and how he responded and how his answer of get out of this man was actioned on. Jesus is calling us to action. Jesus' word is a word of action. It's a word of action of love. Jesus' love for this person was so deep that that demon could not stay in there. So, the actions of Jesus and Christians, and I believe that Jesus is telling Christians that we have the power and the authority to change the world. Jesus started those changes. He changed a lot. But we as Christians need to continue that change. But when we try to change the world, and when we do what we can to change the world, we need to keep it through the lens of love. If we take that lens of love off, it goes back to being an individualistic change. I'm changing this because this is what I want. Instead of saying, I'm changing this because I think this is the best for the community. So I pray, and I challenge each of you here this morning, and I challenge myself as well, that we take this message of love and we leave this place offering the change in the world that will move forward our faith and our love. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415 388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.